Order to Three Board Games Podcast. It's mid-September 2019, and I am not playing Welcome to Your Perfect Home. And this is Asan Lopez, and I'm not playing Thunderstone. Mm. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Dixit. Who is Mike Pullman? Come on. <laughs> I, I don't... A lot of people have, like, uh, Mysterium Dixit. I don't see a whole lot of people playing anymore. Uh, Dixit actually... I put in the same category as Munchkin. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not fair. That's no. not fair. Dixit and Mysterium both are the kind of abstract art, get your friends to interpret stuff kind of games. You know what? It occurs to me I have no idea what Dixit is then. Uh, <laughs> I thought have, Dixit have was put... like... You know what? I thought Dixit, Flux, and Munchkin were pretty much the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. Have you played Mysterium before, Tom? Yes, and I hate it. Okay, Dixit is almost <laughs> used the exact same kind of art. Okay. And there's, a, there's a new game out next week you're going to want to avoid called Obscurio. Same yes, thing. yeah, I did definitely see that. No, and I, again, it's sort of like that Magic Maze game where I personally never want to play it, but I respect that it's out there, and I love that other people would want to play it. Just please don't invite me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, let me start because I want to start with a game that uh, – I also dreaded playing. I had no desire to play it, but after that, as a matter of fact, maybe five minutes into the first game, I was like, oh, nabbit, I'm going to end up buying this. So there's a, a series from Thunderworks Games called uh, uh, Role Player? Yeah, Role Player, which the premise sounded really cool, and it's about rolling up a character for an RPG. And who doesn't love that? Because that's that early moment of promise where anything can happen and you know there's about to be an adventure and you don't quite know what it is and you're having to decide, okay, what kind of person is going to tackle this adventure? And it's it's almost like the, uh, it's like a Bill Dungsroman for your, your fantasy character. Uh, in some games, you know, growing up as a kid, I remember a sci-fi game called Traveler where rolling up a character way more interesting than actually playing. So <laughs> role player is promises this idea of hey, you're going to roll up you're going to when you play role player, you will end up with your fantasy character and it's all about rolling up that character and determining his or her stats and inventory and all and class and all this stuff. So I get role player, I get the expansion because by golly, this game's going to be great, so obviously more of it's going to be even better. Uh, and was dismayed to, define, to, to discover that it is nothing like rolling up a character for a game. It doesn't do anything to capture or recreate that experience because it's just silly dice puzzles. You're just trying to fit colored dice into different colored slots, and you've got an alignment, which is just a pattern of how many dice you have in different areas, and it doesn't feel anything like, hey, I'm going to have a paladin who comes from a poor background, or I've got, you know, an elf who grew up alone in the woods, or I've got a wizard who studied in a tower. None of that is present in the game. You just roll dice, you try to manipulate them to fit into slots according to patterns, uh, and it actually is, I'm just now thinking of this, kind of like that Welcome to Your Perfect Home game, where that kind of abstraction works if you want to talk about zoning neighborhoods, which I don't understand what that's supposed to be like. So, of course, it's kind of a cool math puzzle. But when I'm thinking of rolling up a fantasy character and it's just a math puzzle, ugh. So I've got an extra copy here of Role Player. If anybody wants to buy it cheap, it has the dumb Monsters expansion. Not a fan of it. So, therefore, 
when my friend came back from uh, Gen Con with a copy of Cartographers, a role-player tale, it's apparently in the same series, mm-hmm. uh, I just had no desire to play it. So she gets it out, and it, she shows it to me, and it looks simple. So I figure, okay, we're just going to – she's got a new game. We want to try it. Of course, I want to give her an opportunity to try it. She's excited about it. So I put on my game face, and you know, I wasn't all negative about it. And I was like, yeah, sure, it looks easy. Let's try it. Uh, but inside, I was like, oh, God, I can't wait to get this over with. <laughs> so she shows it to us, super quick to explain. She gives us basically each a piece of graph paper. Uh, and on the graph paper, there's little mountains in certain areas, and those just block you. And then she flips up four cards from a deck, and the four cards are the scoring criteria for that game. And right away, I'm kind of intrigued, because I love games where the scoring can be different to lead to a different kind of game in any given session. Uh, right. So here are four criteria, and they're things like, hey, I have a certain number of... Uh, river tiles next to the mountains or hey have a block of eight or more city tiles contiguously Uh, that kind of thing so there's four criteria and every turn two of them are going to score so it's not like they're all scoring every turn you have to kind of pay attention to what turn it is and which two you're trying to meet but over the course of the game these are all four things you want to pay attention to and then we start flipping over cards that have uh, a type of terrain and a kind of a Tetris shape. And everybody at the table sort of looks at, you know, maybe it's the L from Tetris and it's forests. So everybody looks at their graph paper and they draw they draw the outline around that Tetris L and they fill it in with a forest. And then another card flips up and maybe now it's like farmlands and it's that weird offset two square Tetris shape. And some of them aren't Tetris shapes. Some of them are bigger and more awkward. But they're all a shape and a terrain, and we're piecing them together on our map. Uh, and right away, too, I'm thinking, well, this doesn't really feel like you're exploring a map. Like, I'm not – all of our maps look different. We're using the same cards. I don't have this sense that there's anything that exists that I'm exploring, kind of like in a 4X or a strategy game, where this sense of exploration and discovering the map, that's a really cool thing. Instead, I discovered I was playing something kind of like – uh, it reminded me a little bit, and this gave me even more misgivings, of a tiny town where you've got these preset patterns and you're trying to fit them into your grid. But right away it becomes clear this is nowhere near as agonizing as, as tiny town. You know, I like tiny town, but tiny town is one of the most insidious implements of torture ever devised by mankind. <laughs> right. But you don't realize it till you know, 10 minutes in. Exactly. It's so cute when you're explaining it and the little buildings and the cubes. Yep. But then you realize, yeah, exactly. Now, now I'm, don't get me wrong. I like Tiny Town. It's just it's an agonizing experience uh, because eventually your plans are completely screwed up. You can't fit in what you want. You're at the mercy of things other people are doing uh, by picking resources. So Tiny Town, like, a, it's torture. Uh, but this, there's plenty of room on the map. Uh, you can always put a piece down to pursue one of the four victory conditions. Like maybe you're going for that thing by getting rivers near your mountains and it's not quite working out, so you kind of course correct to one of the other scoring criteria. And there's no real pressure really per se. Um, So it's kind of this relaxed, laid back, I'm building patterns on a piece of grid paper, uh, graph paper. Um, And there's plenty of room to do it. And I can almost always do something useful. 
now here is where one of the really cool things comes into play. So far it sounds non-interactive. We all draw our map and whoever meets the scoring criteria best given how he or she assembled all those Tetris pieces, that person wins. But in the deck, and it's carefully seated so there are not too many of them, but they're, they're always lurking in there, there's monsters. And what happens when a monster comes up? A monster is its own weird... Those aren't Tetris shapes. The monster shapes are weirder and more complicated. The monster card flips up, it shows you the shape, and then it has a clockwise or a counterclockwise arrow. You now take your map and you hand it to the player next to you, either left or right, depending on the way that the clockwise or counterclockwise arrow goes. That person then looks at your map, tries to suss out what you're doing, and then draws the monster shape on your map in the best way to screw you up. <laughs> then they hand you your map back, and now you've got, you know, there's like kobolds or bugbears that are each a distinct shape, and now you've got, in the middle of your beautiful plan, just <laughs> this messed up purple monster block that you have to build around that the player next to you drew. And when I was playing, the woman who owned the game, who's real, who's annoyingly good at everything we play, whenever the counterclockwise arrow came up, I was dreading it because she was going to draw on my map. When the <laughs> counterclockwise arrow came up, my friend who was obviously having a hard time understanding the game, he would draw the monster on my map and would have no idea how best to hurt me. So it, it, it was just this really cute interactive touch to a game that otherwise would have just been uh, solitaire. And it's a shame, too, that... You can totally play this game solitaire, and there's a scoring system, uh, but the way it tells you to handle the monsters completely messes up. Like, it just basically says, hey, count how... Wherever you can squeeze the monster into a corner, put it there. If you can't go there... Like, it, the rules for where you put the monster in solitaire play kind of sabotage how cool the monsters are, and that, that gotcha. kind of, I think, messes up solitaire. Um, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But I so I ended up like I said five minutes in thinking oh god I'm gonna have to buy a copy of this uh, and so sure enough I now own my own copy of uh, Cartographers uh, and I really enjoy it um, so I, I, mm -hmm. I've been really looking forward to this one actually and I think in part because of exactly that that sort of interactive confrontational element you mentioned Tom and my but my sense of it is that it's somewhat um, divisive right like some people really really hate the idea that oh i'm making this beautiful map and now someone's going to screw it up like it, it reminds oh. me of um my wife is an art therapist and one of the exercises she does with her with her clients sometimes is she'll have a group start work on a piece of art um, and then at some point during the exercise, they don't know this is going to happen. You have to give it to your neighbor, and then they start adding to it, right? Oh. And, and it really bothers the hell out of some people. Like, it really, like, and, it, and it's kind of part of the exercise is to get them to kind of accept that to a certain right, extent. Right, right. Um, did you feel that at your table, like, some people were getting really antsy about somebody messing with their map, or was everyone just totally just rolling with it. Everyone was okay with it because it was sold from the get-go that, mm -hmm. hey, don't get too attached to a plan because monsters are going to mess it up. Yeah, like, yeah. the monsters were sold as an integral part of it, so it wasn't a surprise to anyone. Everybody was expecting it. Um, and, and furthermore, also, Hassan, it's not... Like I mentioned, it is pretty forgiving in terms of when a card flips up. Even if you have a plan to go for one scoring criteria, you can always course correct and do something else with the piece. And that also applies when a monster messes you up. 
like what what the monsters might do is force you to let go of really pushing one of the scoring things you're doing and go for something else. Um, there are very few times where I felt like I was wasting a move. And I feel that's important because that's one of the that's one of the painful things in Tiny Town is you get something set up and the right resource doesn't come up. So you have to waste a move. And eventually one of your wasted moves might get in the way and ruin some of your other plans. That was almost never the case in, in cartographers. And cartographers also has a really cool thing where uh, it's a sort of a subsystem of scoring is you can earn coins by doing certain things, by like closing in the mountains. Uh, what I didn't point out is every card that flips up either gives you two shapes and one type of terrain or two types of terrain and one shape. So every card that flips up is also giving you a choice. It's never saying, draw forests in an L shape. It's always saying, draw forests in an L shape or a T shape or draw forests or rivers in an L shape. So it's super flexible in terms of, of letting you work your way around uh, the monsters and any unexpected uh, things that might come up if you just aren't getting the right terrain. And as I understand it, the sometimes one of the options is smaller um, and therefore doesn't take up as many squares on your grid, but you get a coin when you take that option. Is exactly. That right? And I was going to say, right, and the coin is a sort of a scoring subsystem is you can go mm -hmm. for the coins. Yeah, That's really cool. Yeah, And yeah. they do a thing too. I don't know how I feel about this because I had to order it separately, but there's a promo pack of what are called skills. And the skills are things like uh, whatever shape you drew, draw it a second time or shave one of the squares off of the shape that you don't like. And the skills are things that you buy with these coins instead of using them for points, which mm -hmm. is kind of a cool idea. Like it, it definitely is a promo pack. It's an added system. Um, but what happens in any given game is you flip, I think, two or three of these up, and then players can buy each of them once if they want to burn their little coin victory points. But I like how it adds this coin resource as something else you can play with. Um, but what I haven't told you about is my favorite part about cartographers and why I was eventually sold on it. So my friend thought she was really clever. She's the type of person who, when, when a game comes with a limited resource, like with a pad of paper, whether it's for scoring or whether it's a game like Welcome to Your Perfect Home where you play it on a piece of paper, she is loath to actually use those pieces of paper. <laughs> uh, she will Figure not use like the, the stickers in a legacy game. Like she doesn't want to <laughs> use up bits in a game, and I can kind of understand that. But I think you're kind of defeating the purpose in, in a way. So she thought she was awfully clever, and I did too at first. When she shows up with this copy of Cartographer, Cartographers, and she has taken four of the pieces of paper and gotten them laminated, and given us all dry erase pens. And at first I was like, yeah, okay, that's kind of clever. You just completely subverted their idea that, hey, one day, you know, what, uh, 100 games later, you're going to run out of pieces of paper and have to buy a replacement pad. Um, so we're playing on these laminated things, and, you know, like I said, five minutes in, I'm like, oh, i got to get this game. Ten minutes in, I'm like, Sharon, you've made a terrible mistake, and here's why. When you flip up a card... The artwork for the forest or the house or the, 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 the river, it's not like clean, simple icons. It's just a cute little picture of a building or a little fluffy trees. So that when you have to draw that L-shaped forest, you've got to come up with your own way to represent a forest. 
And that's no big deal. Like, everybody kind of was doing it his own way. Like, I was like, yeah, okay, a forest. It's like little bumpy things. And even the city, I was like, I'm not going to draw a house. I'm just going to make it a square. Uh, the water, I just drew a W. Um, everybody at the table is, and it's a, it's a minor thing, but is forced to come up with their own self-expression, their own creative expression of what they're going to use to represent any given terrain. Uh, which is really kind of cute, and I don't think the game even realizes it's doing this, but as we're playing and as we're passing the maps back and forth, you're looking and you're going, wait a minute, that's what you're doing for rivers? <laughs> or, <laughs> wait a minute, what is it? That's a forest? Um, so there's this really kind of cute bit of self-expression, and where this really comes into play is with the monsters, because, and I don't know if everybody would play this way, but in our group, when it got passed around, Everybody had to come up with something different for the monsters. Like, I was just doing a frowny face. One of my friends was doing, like, a stick figure. Uh, Sharon was doing, like, these these little creatures with horns, which is really cute. A friend of mine did spiders. Uh, at one point, I passed it over to my friend who was kind of having trouble with the game. And for the monsters this time, he just drew – I mean, it looked like a tree. It was a circle at the top of a stick, like a straight line with a circle on top of it. And I was like, wait, and, and that's kind of what someone else was using, using for forest to represent a tree. And I was like, wait a minute, what? how is that a monster? And he goes, oh, that's the that's the clown balloon from the movie It. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was really adorable. So here's the thing. When Sharon, when, when my friend has her laminated copies of the, the pieces of paper, everything oh, gets erased. But yeah. my copy of the game is going to accumulate these cute little... I mean, they're not maps of anything. They're just like random patterns fit together. But there are going to be these cute little bits of self-expression for how people represent the different terrains and how people feel like getting playful when they get to mess someone else's map up with monsters. Uh, and that, that's what really won me over uh, and made me think, too. Don't laminate the sheets. Like, you want your copy of Cartographers, every time you open it up, to have these little endearing pieces of self-expression in them. So. Mm -hmm. I think that's 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 astute, Tom. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it gives you that that smile every time you open the box and you remember something. Uh, exactly, exactly. Because we do I, that with some like high score sheets in some games. Right. Right. Uh, and yeah. and but this is that with with much more kind of creativity and expression in it. So. Yeah, and I like to hang on to those papers from any game like this just because you open the box and oh look we played a whole bunch and you kind of. Exactly. Exactly. But even but, if I don't but, look through them, just the fact that they're in the box is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Something, though, though, like with Welcome to Your Perfect Home, all those look, you know, they're just numbers, and what's mainly different about them, there's just so much going on, and you're basically just looking at the different handwriting for the numbers, and yeah, there's that cool feel of, hey, we've played this, but I wouldn't care to really, I mean, I guess you could look at different maps and see, oh, this guy was making estates, and this guy was doing pools, um, but it's just cartographers' pieces of paper are so qualitatively different from, I think, any other board game I've got in terms of that expression. Right. Uh, they really like that about it. I'm 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 tempted to get um, some sets of colored pencils so that if I play this with my family, for example, we can even like color in the different territory types. I, yeah. I, oh, I like that, Hassan. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if everybody I play this with would have the patience for that, but it would certainly give it would make the maps even that much more fun to look at. You know. Well, so. it. You know what that makes me think of Hassan is we have, and I've talked about this before, and it's just a facet of any given gaming group. We have some people who take longer than others with their turn, and when my friend who always takes forever with his turn, he's always the guy we're waiting for. 
if there's colored pencils at the table, yeah, I'll go ahead and make my forest little green dots. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, so it's yep. kind of like, yeah, I can doodle while Paul's taking his forever to take his turn. So, yeah, I like that <laughs> idea even more, right? So, so Tom, uh, what does this have to do with role player? <laughs> so it's in their universe. It's the same publisher, right? Thunderworks, it says a role player tale. And I don't think it's the same developer. Yeah, it looked like it was a different developer. And it actually, they just came out with another one of these like two weeks ago called Lockup, a role player right. style. Yes. I don't know anything about it, but I saw these start showing up and I was like, how does this tie to the other one? So it's just the fiction? Um, I don't even think the artwork is the same. Yeah, it's just a fiction. I don't know if it's the same artist. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I mean, I think they're just wanting to push this as a line. And I'm actually now, like I saw that lockup thing came out, and I was like, I don't like role player. I'm not even going to look at it. But now that you reminded me about lockup, I'm curious to look at that without my role player prejudice. So, yeah. Nice. All right, so uh, let's see. I've uh, found a little bit of a, of a delight. Uh, Hassan, I, actually, no, uh, Mike, I want to hear about this monster. Well, Mike, what game have you been playing before I give it away? So I played a game called Monster Slaughter uh, this past weekend. Um, it's been out for, I don't know, maybe four or five months. It is, think of Cabin in the Woods, the board game, <laughs> where uh, you and the other players take on the role of various monsters attacking a bunch of teens stuck in a cabin in the woods. So it's it's got a really cool presentation. Uh, at the actual bottom of the box is the cabin. So you take the lid off and you actually take the bottom of the box off and you put uh, kind of this ring around it that has the rest of the board. Uh, so it's a pretty sizable uh, little you know, cardboard cabin. You had some walls and doors and so on. That's how they were doing the 3D walls. I was like, God, you have to build that every time you play? I see. Right. Yeah, so it, it was a neat idea because it's the bottom of the box and then there's this separate cardboard box inside that box that holds all the components. So it's not wearing the actual what you end up using for the box too much right. for, the, for the cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, so each player picks uh, a different faction of monsters. There's anything from aliens to maniacs to Frankenstein kind of monsters. I think there's eight or nine of them. And then there's, uh, in the kind of the base game, we didn't play with uh, the more advanced rules yet. There are five teens in the cabin. There are five rooms in the cabin. So as every horror movie starts, they start separated, one in each room. And uh, it uses this kind of cool card mechanic where you seed these decks for each room in the house. Um, like the biggest room has the most cards, and then the, like the the toilet room, bathroom, which is actually separate. So the bathroom has the shower, and then there's the WC. Apparently they're European. I was going <laughs> to say, yeah, is this a British game? <laughs> okay. Uh, has just a couple cards, uh, and then you so you, you shuffle. Uh, all these cards together, which uh, have various objects on them, and they're going to be used uh, by the victims to defend themselves. It could be anything from, uh, you know, like a gun or, you know, a lighter. And the cool thing is you put the cards in that deck based on which monsters are in the game. So, for example, um, when we played, one of the players was playing aliens. So all the alien-specific uh, uh, objects went in there. And it's things kind of like Mars attacks, right? There's old uh, uh, country records. There's a boombox. <laughs> there's a ray gun. So it's all kind of funny and it's kind of cute art. Now, are uh, the monsters different other than the way the decks are built? Like, do they have different powers as well? Or they, it's just they determine how the decks are built? They do. So each one okay. um, has a different power for their their uh, specific faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, 
the uh, vampires are better at searching for uh, victims. And I had um, I was playing the maniacs, and they as soon as they find a victim, the victims lose health just from sheer terror of running into the maniac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you have three of these uh, monsters. There's uh, they're supposed to be families. There's a mom, a dad, and a kid. Uh, the dad tends to have the most, you know, the best stats. He can move the furthest, and he has the most dice, and, and so on. Uh, and then you get, based on which character you pick, you have a number of moves. Um, and you're going to have things like moving into another room, smashing down a door, trying to scare the victims, uh, actually attacking them, um, and then searching. So when you're, you start out, everyone's in the cabin. There's uh, five decks of cards. You know the top card is the victims for each. Uh, or there's a victim in each pile. But as soon as you smash down a door, the victims hide. So you shuffle that pile, and then they are then buried inside there. But what you can do is you can peek through the window or peek through the door and see who's there ahead of time. And the reason that matters is kind of the whole point of the game is the different monsters are deciding the order that the victims are going to die in. So right when the game starts, you have these counters. You put them face down. I think the cheerleader is going to die first, and then the jock's going to die, and so on. And you get more points based on correctly predicting the order of their demise. Mm. So what's cool is, uh, let's say Hassan is coming in with his vampires and is about to attack uh, one of the the cheerleader. All the rest of the players can then pick, uh, decide as a group, which card to give the cheerleader to defend herself. And Ah. hopefully one of you guys already has the, uh, you know, a vampire specific card, which is going to do more damage to them. Uh, so it might be for the vampires, you know, it might be a stake or a crucifix. And all those items have a base number of dice they, they, uh, they, uh, they use to, uh, for how strong they are. <clears throat> the dice are all just success or failure. And it's comparing the monster's role to the victim's role. You know, successes cancel out each other. Uh, and in the case of a monster-specific object, uh, it adds an extra die. So it'd be three instead of two, for example, of the, the uh, stake. So real quick, when we're when we're uh, determining when we're guessing the order everyone's going to die, that's blindly from each other, right? Like Correct. Hassan doesn't know that I want the cheerleader to die first, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you and now can I do anything to like if I if you and I both Mike have decided hey we want the cheerleader to die first like kind of arbitrarily and we don't know we both want that. Can I do anything to help you kill the cheerleader? Or I just play a weak card so she doesn't defend herself well, or it's you're not supposed to actually talk about the order, um, right? But you could, you know, easily hold back a card that could help defend the cheerleader, and you don't want to because you want her to die. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what? What's interesting is so everyone wants to kill the creatures, but or kill the victims, but it's in a specific order. Right. So where that plays into in the game is there's an action called scare. So instead of attacking someone, you can decide to scare them, which makes them run away. So if I am on you know, the opposite side of a door and Hassan's about to attack the cheerleader and I don't want the cheerleader to die yet because I have her third in my order, I can make some noise on the other side of the door and send her running. Hmm. <laughs> so it, it kind of creates this cool interactivity of making the victims run away from the other players and hopefully into one of your own waiting figures. <laughs> Just the narrative of this, Mike, I'm picturing, okay, so aliens, vampires, and maniacs attack five people in a cabin, but the aliens are trying to protect the cheerleaders from the vampire. <laughs> Meanwhile, the maniacs are looking for the jock. <laughs> yep, so, and then uh, the way you get these objects, and then there's other, there's action cards too, so it might give you, you know, an extra couple bonus points of movement. And you do that by searching. So once your monster's in, let's say he's in the bedroom, 
you use an action to search. You roll your dice, um, and that's by the monster. You know, the for example, the the dad maniac has four dice. I roll three successes. I get to draw three cards off the top of that deck, hopefully finding a person. But if not, I'm just grabbing cards to hold in my hand. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be objects that I use on subsequent turns against the other players. Uh, then there's also, like I said, there's action cards for extra moves and stuff. Uh, there are a couple of trap cards where if you find them, they damage you. So it's supposed to be the victim setting up traps for you. Um, and then, Can your monsters die? Can you lose your monsters? They just get... So whenever they lose a, a fight or anything like that, they just get uh, ejected from the current room. So okay. uh, like one room out. Um, so it's it's kind of cool how it interacts. Uh, the one other thing you get is you pick of the five victims your favorite meal. <laughs> so you put a target on that one. And that gives you even more bonus points if you're the one to actually kill that person. Because right, right. it's actually yeah. fairly hard to kill a victim in only one turn. And they have a little health track and so on. So you want to get the killing blow and you get extra points if that was your favorite meal. Mm-hmm. So you end up uh, accruing points by the amount of damage you do, by predicting the right order, and then by getting your favorite meal. And that is kind of how it all works. Um, there is an expansion um, that came with the game that adds a tool shed where the uh, uh, the victims can run out and get extra weapons and stuff. Which now, I, is this I when can... you mentioned you guys played the basic <laughs> game? Is the tool shed the what tool distinguishes that, that the basic up. game yep. from the... Okay, right, right. And then the other uh, aspect is every time everyone moves one of their figures, you advance the clock. So it starts at midnight and it goes till 8 a.m. Uh, you're trying to get everyone dead by 8 a.m. But in addition, every time you advance the clock uh, an hour, there's a random event. Uh, it might be that all the monsters are one die stronger this turn. It might be that it inverts successes and failures on the dice, so it makes it harder. Normally, there's four successes and two failures. Uh, and then one of the special events, which we didn't use in the first game because I recommended you don't, uh, it's called Knock Knock, which is a surprise visitor coming to the, the cabin. And it is... Without being uh, actually licensed, it's either Ash from Evil Dead, or a cop, or Indiana Jones, or Christopher <laughs> Lloyd from Back to the Future, and there's a couple others. And they have, they're have they much better than normal victims. They have special powers and stuff. But you don't get any points for them. They just cause trouble. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. overall, I was, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by this game. I was a little worried uh, about how you know everyone's just trying to kill them and, and be done with it. But the, the fact that you have to decide the order ahead of time and pick your favorite and then try to manipulate what the the victims are doing to achieve your goal compared to others is it makes for some pretty fun gameplay it sounds like a game that would generate a fair number of laughs too were people laughing while they were playing this for sure uh and then it also came with a scenario book uh with various scenarios of toxic waste and people turning into zombies and stuff so i want i'm anxious to try those too to see what it adds to the game wait what scenarios okay i mean that sounds weird for that kind of game. Yeah, it's, you know, it might be we're trying to get out to the tool shed and fuel up the car and get away, those kind of things. So The, the monsters the are trying to the, fuel the car and get no, away? No, no, the, the victims are. So <laughs> oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Like, they have a different yep. kind of behavior. Or, I see. Right, yep. right. Okay. <laughs> so, and they just kick-started an expansion, which is the basement for this this house. So I'm, uh, I think I'm going to get that, and it uh, looks interesting. And I presume it goes up to four players, so you can have aliens, vampires, uh, maniacs, and uh, there's mummies, right? Yep, there are eight sides total, or uh, eight different factions. Oh, okay, wow, a lot of choices. Yeah, so all right. There's a bunch of extras. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other ones. There's werewolves. Um, Does it have? I'm always curious about this in a 
game with multiple like characters or factions, does it have rules for how you assign the factions? Or is it one of those, eh, everybody just picks their own faction? It's just a pick your own or, you know, randomly roll to see who gets their first pick. Right. Okay. So. Um, and, yeah, and, was, and I presume, I, too, the artwork is cutesy. Like, this sounds... When you de- when you describe it, it sounds and when Hassan was asking about people laughing, it, it sounds pretty lighthearted in terms yeah, of visuals. Yeah, it's definitely it's well. very cartoony. Um, okay. The monsters have a lot of personality, and uh, apparently in the Kickstarter deluxe version, which I don't have, they are all came and painted, but they're all just you know each side is a single color in the the mainstream one. Right, right. I guess I could have inferred that too from the fact that there's a dad, a mom, and a baby monster. Right, <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I, uh, I was playing the Maniacs, and my the dad looked kind of like uh, Jason, of course, and the kid kind of looked like a Chucky. <laughs> so ah, right, was, that makes sense. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. There's there's been an increased number of horror themed board games in the past few years. I think it was a it was a theme thematic space that designers were and publishers were a little bit hesitant to to jump into. I think for a period of time, but now we're seeing some some cool innovation in that arena and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah, there's a big audience there. People who love horror movies. I think um, I'd like to see more stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and actually, uh, there was just an It game that came out based on really. The yeah, I don't know if it's any good, but it just came out. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was my reaction to his song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, Monster Slaughter R- reminds me a bit of. Uh, Hassan was talking about uh, I don't know if you were here that week was talking about was it horrified that Universal yep. Monsters thing yeah uh, reminds me a bit about that where it's kind of just a romp where you're playing from the perspective of the monsters running around wreaking havoc yeah, yep. yeah that was like the unluckiest town ever and this is like the unluckiest right. cabin ever <laughs> right exactly alright <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Hassan you're up uh, I have conflicted feelings about what you're going to tell us about but i also uh know very little about where this series has gone so i'm going to have questions for you what have you been playing all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about clank and yeah your your first question might be like why is this on talking about a game that's three years old now and uh, my answer is because it just keeps getting better for me. I like this mm-hmm. game more and more every time I play it. I, I'm, I've become a really big fan of Clank, and I think that I was thinking about why this is, and I think that it's it's in part because it compares, in my mind at least, so favorably to so many of the other modern board games that are coming out now that espouse complexity for purported innovation or emphasize style over substance and all these other sort of broad concerns I have about some of the directions modern game design is going. And I think, I don't know, for me, Clank kind of does encapsulate um, a, a celebration of modern game design. Like it was, it, 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 it's definitely an example of what I would call iterative design in the sense of just building on what was, what was put out before it. But I think it's a really exceptional example of something that has refined and improved an idea um, to being very accessible and very fun. So that's that's my that's my initial very positive feeling towards Clank, and, and I'll try to explain it. So yeah, now because I haven't, I I played the initial one and I was like, yeah, okay, this is kind of cute. Uh, I had some, it, like I can imagine there were there were a lot. There's a lot they could do to iterate it and improve on it and add systems to it. So the last time I saw it was maybe two playthroughs with the. Uh, didn't one didn't like the very first add-on include like underwater stuff. 
That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, and really, all I all I play is base game. I have the underwater, which I like, and then I have the the mummy one. So I have the mummy expansion, um, which are really, I mean, they're they're nice expansions to have if you like the clank system because they're more boards first of all, which is nice. So they give you different, in a sense, dungeons to explore. But also the the variety of cards that they add is is really is really excellent. Um, because you know deck builders which is what this is they really benefit from the variety that additional cards in the market give you so you're like every time you play with an expansion you're like oh i haven't seen that card before right. and that that's a lot of fun for sure and that that too i think is one of the kind of sour tastes it left in my mouth was i felt like initially like it was all about boots like just make sure you're mobile and everything else will follow so anybody who got shut out of getting boots in their early deck and you know we obviously didn't play it enough where i can speak authoritatively about any like balance or overpowered issues but in our group it quickly became about grab the boots quick hurry uh <laughs> and and anybody who didn't grab the boot that was showing got left behind and was sort of puttering around trying to catch up and that's a little unfair because I'm sure there's more to it than that. But once they added water, which added a new element to movement and traversing the map, uh, I can see that being improved upon a lot the later iterations. Um, right. I mean, y yeah, you're not wrong. So for for people who don't know, I mean, Clank is Clank's a deck builder, which I'm not going to explain. Um, but it's it's what I would call a hybrid deck builder, where you're using deck building to interact with a, a broader system, um, in particular a board. And I think one one reason why I think Clank agrees with me is that I've decided I like deck building when it is used to to interact with a map. Like I, I'm also a huge fan of Tyrants of the Underdark. It's it's one of my favorite games actually, and it's it's a deck builder that also you know is used for area control and and sort of you know direct confrontation with other players um whereas clank is a, a deck builder used in the interest of exploration going deeper into a dungeon trying to get treasures and then getting out before other people and um tom you're right that you know one of the resources that you're collecting boots which is your movement through the map is is definitely critical like if you're i mean this is kind of jumping ahead here, but one uh, one thing I think Clank does very successfully is that it's really funny, and it can be extraordinarily funny to have somebody sort of dig their way into a dungeon and then realize <laughs> that they just don't have enough boots to get out, and then right. they're stuck. And I, I think that that's really hilarious, actually. Um, yeah. And the game's light enough and quick enough that it hopefully doesn't bother people too much. Um, but, and a lot know. of times, too, I think what can be funny about that is they got themselves in that position by right. getting a little too greedy. Like there's a definite clear risk-reward element, like the person who you know, made a beeline for the best treasure and then got stuck at the bottom of the dungeon because they were so eager to get there. Like that's what's funny is they got themselves in that situation. Ha ha, you're stuck. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I would also argue with you in, in that I think actually the deck building – is is more balanced than what you're suggesting. I, th I think that mm -hmm. you can 
you can the, so the three resources you can basically um, I guess in a sense specialize although you're you're typically going to balance them to a certain degree are boots swords and skill and boots helps you move through the dungeon swords helps you kill stuff which is good for getting gold and then skill which is you know it's the generic resource that lets you buy more cards to your deck mm -hmm. so you're definitely mm -hmm. going to want that but you can you can build a deck and I did this last time I played that is very heavy in sort of skill and then just try to acquire very expensive cards like secret tomes or there's these big treasures in the dungeon that you find that are very expensive and it's it's kind of like the traditional dominion thing right where you buy this very expensive card but then it doesn't do anything for you and it kind of clogs up your deck right mm -hmm. which again is thematically fucking hilarious because you're the guy who's <laughs> like has four secret tomes in his backpack and he can't get out of the freaking dungeon right so i i don't it's stuff like that that really makes me laugh every time i play kink I'm, I'm always smiling when i play this game um and and also just to to sort of discredit my own complaint a lot of it too has to do with the map you're playing on the very basic introductory map it's relatively easy to get around on it's relatively open like you can't trap yourself as many ways there but but then you flip it over and there's kind of a more advanced map uh and and one of the things i really enjoyed about clank was kind of like looking at the map and studying it and thinking okay this place here is difficult to get to but right. that place, I could maybe get there if I build this kind of deck, and especially once you add the underwater stuff. Um, right. So, so the map determines a lot of, I guess, the difficulty of the challenge level of the game for each player. That's definitely true, and like you said, it will it will get you to think about whether you need to buy keys to right. unlock those locks um, to reverse your tracks, because most of the maps make it tough tougher to get out than to get into the dungeon right 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 um or whether you're going to invest in scuba gear which will definitely help you get around a little bit faster if you're playing in the underwater map um, um but in order to get those items from the market you've got to get gold and the best way to get gold is to buy swords right so i, I think there's some clever balancing elements there that you have to think about when when you're trying to when you're trying to plan your strategy in this mm -hmm. game now tell us why it's called clank Okay, right. Yeah, so the and this is something so this is the thing that when I first read about Clank, I was quite skeptical of it. Um I was just like, "Oh, okay, this is just yet another kind of game feeding off the deck builder thing and I'm not sure I'm into this." And then they're like, "Oh, and then there's Clank. It's hilarious." And so some of the cards will will generate clank um, which is you can think of it as that a fourth resource almost and it'll be a, a colored cube of your of your color which then goes into this bag right um, so you might do uh, like a, a, a very powerful move action that lets you move let's say three spaces but it generates clank it generates noise in the dungeon and thematically, that's fun and interesting because then what happens is um, cards will be revealed in the market that show a dragon attack because there's a dragon lurking in the dungeon, of course, and every now and then it's going to attack the players. And then it leads to really what I, I, I'm totally sold on this now. Probably my favorite element of Clank is that you then pause the game and the person whose turn it is, you, you force them to, to draw cubes from the bag and... And whatever happens is always just really amusing to me. Like, so they <laughs> they might draw like black cubes, which is basically you're you're all safe, and everyone's like pats the guy in the back. You're like, good job, as like if they did anything, right? You know, <laughs> they just you just all got lucky, right? Or best case scenario, 
like you're pulling, you know, you're pulling cubes out and you're like, please don't pull red, please don't pull red because red's your color. And then you draw out like three reds in a row <laughs> and everyone else around the tables just got this big sheet of green on their face. And they're just so <laughs> pleased that that happened to you. Right. I just think that that's just so great. Um, and that because what that means is that each of those cubes that you pull out of a player's color is the dragon hurting that player and it's it's them losing health and you can die in this game like if you if you lose all your health um, and you're below ground you permanently die and you're out of the game so that's where the press your luck element definitely comes in like you were saying tom yeah um but what we've discovered when we play is that it is um, it is totally viable to push your luck and really go for a ton of treasures and really try to fill your deck up with some really heavy point cards and just get above ground. Like if you, because then if you die, um, you still get the, the basically the townspeople get your body and they resurrect you. I guess that's <laughs> that's the, what it means. That's actually but, in the rules. That's what it says. Yeah. Is that yeah they uh, rescue you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you still get to score all your points. You just don't get that juicy twenty point bonus that you would normally get for getting out of the dungeon. Right. And that twenty points is pretty big in this game. But and and you know the first time I saw that I was like oh okay so you basically need that to win the game but you definitely don't. You definitely don't like you can i really like nowadays the strategy of really pushing my luck um more so than i used to with this game and then just trying to ensure that i get just above ground before the game ends before i die like you've let go of those 20 points that's right yeah. that's right and because i i think there are other ways to to easily make up those 20 points um right. i mean the first time i played this with my group i and in part in order to sort of teach them how the game works a little bit i guess but i also wanted to see how well the strategy worked i i just went for the run in get the easiest artifact run out as quickly as possible strategy right and run so, the clock out on everyone else and just to run the clock out on everybody and it, it worked great because it was really funny then to see everybody's sort of like their understanding of the game click as soon as i did that right, right. um and i did actually end up winning that game and so it, it also was like oh okay so that that can work but then with with more plays of the game we've realized that there really are varied ways to to end up the winner in this thing yeah. you don't you don't necessarily need to get out alive and one of the things i do, do like also about that that whole dragon mechanic and pulling the cubes and people losing health is we can be playing and like you and me, Hassan, are going for a more conservative kind of, hey, I'm going to carefully work my way over here and get that treasure. Meanwhile, Mike just made a beeline. He got some super expensive treasure, and he's going to have way, way more points than we are. But we can always hope that the dragon's going to kill him or that he's not going to make it to the surface. Like it's right. not when, – when Mike has all those points, the game's not over yet because he hasn't exfiltrated with those points yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not necessarily discouraging to think, oh, well, now I'm just playing for second and third place. Uh, I, I like that dynamic where just because someone has a ton of points doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win. They've got to bank them somehow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think there's this is a game that I think also balances how much info you you know about where other players are versus how much you don't know in a in a in a nice way. Like you you can see what artifacts they've collected for sure and what tokens they have in front of you, but you don't know all the points in their deck unless you've been really counting the points right. which nobody does right um and you can get a lot of points inside of your deck so at the end of the game still has that tension of like okay let's let's count them up and see where we are right right
Now, what what is the mummy clank add? What how is that different? Well, I, I have not played it, so it but it adds a, a a curse, a mummy that's wandering like a physical monster that's wandering through the map, and then it can oh. curse you. And I think there's a die that you roll to see like what effect the curse has on you. So that's good. I'm, so it makes the map more dynamic, basically. Yeah, like there's actually something happening on the map that that you aren't controlling. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm excited to try it. Next time, next time we, we get it to the table, I'm definitely going to play the Mummy. Now, Mike, you said that uh, a new one just came out. There's the Mergers uh, Incorporated thing. Uh, how much? How many specifics do you know about what has been added to Clank since the Mummy version? I actually, I've never played Clank, so I'm not sure. I know it's, okay. uh, I know it sells pretty well, <laughs> but I've never played it. And what's the name of the latest one that just came out? Do you uh, remember? Temple of the Ape Lords or something like that. Right, right, right. Ape Lord, because it's like monkeys. There, there's some special monkey room, I think, or something in the original game, right, Hassan? That's isn't right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And isn't there something about like if you get monkeys and treasure? Actually, that was another cool thing. Is I remember there being some light little world building touches hidden in the deck and on the map, and there was something about like there's some synergy you can get with certain treasures and monkey statues or something. That's right. Uh, right. And these things reveal themselves over successive plays, and you start to identify these patterns that are just little, cute little bits of world building, kind of an, an ecology going on in this dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, there uh, is, and and I, I you know I, I wouldn't want to oversell it, but it, it but there is that for sure. And then, and this is well, this is I guess a totally personal subjective thing, but all the cards are embedded with humor, and there's a lot of like references to pop culture in the cards and you can read the flavor text and enjoy it or just totally ignore it Um, right i know that there's another a whole another sort of standalone clank game clank in space right oh right right that's another one yeah so and that's a standalone not an expansion that's right um and that one also has the same really tongue-in-cheek humor and it really draws on pop culture references to sci-fi movies and books and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. and is it just a reskinning like i can imagine there's airless areas like the underwater areas and that other clank like do you know what else it adds I, from what I understand, it is it is slightly more complicated. So for those people who felt that Clank was maybe a little too light for them, and I would put Clank at the light end of the spectrum, which yeah. I'm totally in favor of. I like that about it. Um, I think Clank in space is just a little heavier. I think I do think you have to manage something like oxygen or something like that. But there's an additional thing you have to worry about. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Uh, now, you, you said you have some uh, ambivalence about deck builders unless – because I'm the same way with worker placement. Like it has to be worker placement with like a map or with something else. Uh, there Are there no pure deck builders that you're into or you just prefer them to have like a map or some other gameplay component? Um, that's a fair question. I mean, I've I've certainly pay, played my fair share of pure deck builders. You know, everything from Ascension to you know the DC deck building game and Star Realms. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't dip into Dominion. I, I really bounced off of it thematically. I just looked so bland to me. I never, I never jumped on that bandwagon. Even though dominion really you know you know changed the landscape like we talked about like pandemic was sort of a watershed moment in modern game design i mean certainly i think we'd have to put dominion there as well right and it it spawned so many derivations of that that core just like deck building thing um 
but the, the, yeah, the fact is that usually when I play those games, I I, I mean, it, I'll, I can enjoy them as a purely light, casual thing, but I always feel like it's there's not enough meat to what I'm doing. But once once people started adapting deck building as a mechanic, like you were, I mean, you were mentioning Martin Wallace a few weeks ago, right? And he clearly got the deck building bug in him. I mean, he did. Um, you know, well, a whole tr- a whole trilogy of games, right? Like um, uh, a few acres of snow kind of kicked it off, where he did this right. idea of asymmetrical factions fighting over Canada, uh, right. and there's a map you're dealing with. But what drives it is this deck building system, and and that's also very much in Mythopia, studying Emerald. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and you and when I when I play games like that, I love it. I really do. I really I like deck building as a mechanic, and I think I've just come to accept that in myself that I shouldn't be guilty about that. It's I I really like how it works in games, and there's that that little ping of dopamine you get every time you just buy a card and add it to your deck. You're like, <laughs> right. oh, I'm I'm doing really well, right? You know, um, and then and then it really does. I mean, I mean, Dominion taught us this is this is that doing that and then plus allowing the player to see the efficiency of their deck unfold in front of them is enormously satisfying, right? It's a, it's a really gratifying experience to players. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there was a time where I was growing increasingly cynical about deck building, like, ah, fuck all these deck building games. (laughs) Right. Um, but now I think I've just come to accept that I really like it. Like it, it actually works for me. Mike, what are your feelings on deck building games? I'm kind of the same way where I really need something extra to enjoy a deck builder. I played a lot of Dominion way back when it came out, and it was, you know, a very cool idea, but it, you're right, Hassan, it's super dry and super boring. Uh, in fact, in the base set of Dominion, there's no player interactivity at all unless you have the Witch as one of the cards you can get. Is it the witch? I don't remember what it's called. Well, Dominion's gotten a lot of because uh, I constantly complain about Dominion too and call it obsoleted because it. I feel like Dominion introduced the gameplay mechanic, but then yep. everyone else did something cool with it. So to go back to Dominion is like you know going back to Kalos. Like who wants to play that anymore? Right. Um, um, I I played a lot of Ascension uh, in uh-huh. its early years, uh, especially on uh, like on my iPhone and stuff. Um, what I liked about that game is it was very ruthless in how efficient you needed to get your deck to be successful. So it was almost more important to how you removed cards than add them. <laughs> yeah, uh, just Ascent- to get to get all the starter cards out and so on. Uh, and yeah, Ascension too. Like I, I, that just gets so much additional content. I would be so I would have no idea where to start if I wanted to like catch up with with Ascension because that got so much stuff piled onto it. But the really cool like just artwork and theming. Like I, I like the 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 world building in Ascension a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So just a real quick uh, shout out for a couple of deck builders that I feel should get more attention, that I feel are really solid designs for various reasons. Um, There's a a fellow named Andrew Park who recently has done a game called Dungeon Alliance. He did a, a, I think it's a miniatures thing called like Marvel Strike Force or whatever, some Marvel Universe miniatures boondoggle, I think. Um, But he did a deck builder called Core Worlds, Mm -hmm. which... And I always hate to say this, uh, but sometimes it's true, uh, really needs the expansion to uh, live up to its potential. And I think Core Worlds is just Andrew's 
Park's really smart take on pure deck building. Uh, and with the expansion, it does some really cool stuff that uh, that fleshes it out. Uh, Core World, I think, is it, it would Core Worlds. Uh, I think is pretty much should only be two player, like head to head. You can play with more, but I think it really bogs down. But as a head to head two player game, if somebody wants something meatier than Star Realms, for instance, uh, I recommend Core Worlds. Um, here's one too that I feel is criminally overlooked. So this is a straight-up deck builder, but what it manages is a couple of things. Uh, interactivity, in a special way, uh, and some variety in terms of how you build your deck. And it's a game called Arctic Scavengers. Mm-hmm. And there are three unique ways to get new cards into your deck. One of them is very straightforward. You, you buy the cards. You know, you're spending the resource to buy them. And they're all face up in front of you. It's just like Dominion. You know, I want this card. I'm going to buy it. I can't afford it. So, okay, I'll buy that card. And now it's in my deck. The other way, and this is where it starts to get thematic. It's, a, it's an Arctic apocalypse setting. Uh, is you can blindly fish through a, a deck of face-down cards. And that's basically the scavenging. And what you find in there are tools and implements and medicine, uh, food sometimes. Um, Whereas the cards you're buying face up, those are people that you're recruiting. The third way that you get cards is on any given turn, and the first player rotates around the the table, the first player gets to look at a special pre-constructed and shuffled deck of really cool weapons and devices and powerful items, plus some duds. And that person gets to look at the face-up card and then put it back down. Now we all play our turn. Any cards we didn't use out of our hand get put face down in front of us. And then at the end of the round, we flip those up and they fight for whatever that face-down card was. So if Hassan looks at the face-down card on that special deck and it's some awesome machine gun... And then he takes his turn, and he doesn't hire anyone. He doesn't even scavenge in the deck. We're like, wait a minute, Hassan, why are you keeping all your cards? You must really want what's on top of that deck. Okay, fine, I'm going to keep all my cards. And then we all use our cards to fight for that machine gun. But then that leads to Hassan flipping the card up, seeing it's something crappy. There's not much he can really afford with his turn. So he bluffs, leaves all of his cards down, and we think, wait... There's like a machine gun or a grenade or a rocket launcher <laughs> or something up there. And then we all waste our terms fighting for it. Um, so our Arctic Scavengers got super overlooked as far as deck building, but I really like the mechanics in it. I really like the way that that bluffing and that one person knowing what card that is and everybody watches him re- how he reacts. I like that interactivity. Hmm. Um, hmm. And I've heard other people speak highly of it, and I think people can get it for pretty cheap, too, still nowadays. So. Yeah, one of the problems is they so they released it, and I forget, I want to say Rio Grande maybe, but uh, they released it, and then they released like an expansion pack, and I don't think it did very well. So they then released a deluxe version, which is the base game. Actually, I think it's... Oh, you know what it is? The base game comes with uh, the base game plus modules. And then they released an expansion that added even more modules. So when you buy it, you're buying a base game, but then you're asked to figure out which modules to add, and there's not a lot of guidance there. So it's super easy to maybe decide, oh, I'm going to throw everything in, 
and then it's just a big mess. Or right. maybe you decide, uh, I'm just going to use one or two modules, and you pick a couple of them that don't go well together. So it's unfortunately one of these boxes that I think believes it's being generous, but more often is going to confuse people. Hmm. Um, and and hmm. I always, yeah, that always is, is uh, sad when that happens. Uh, I just blindly bought because it was on sale. And the rule of thumb that I am constantly forgetting is that if something is on sale, it's probably for a reason. Uh, <laughs> I just brought a game called uh, Paths of Light and Shadow. Oh, no, I've been totally <gasps> interested in this one. So oh. I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you got this. Yeah, okay, because yeah. here's the thing is I'm I, – I, so I, I think I, I don't think I sold it well the first time we played. Uh, one guy completely ran away with the game. I was uh, trying something risky that didn't work and just uh, was sort of stuck in last place for the duration. But what it, it's a deck builder with uh, territory control on it where you're fighting over territory. But what it does, and this is why I got it, um, is the deck building – as you're playing, you move on a scale, and they don't call it good or evil. Oh, they call it cruelty or mercy. It's right. basically good or evil, uh, depending on how you're building your deck. And as you move further along the scale, it pushes certain cards to work in different ways. So cruelty is if you're playing the kind of game where you winnow cards out of your deck. You want a small, muscular deck of cards. Uh, that's cruelty. Whereas mercy is you want more of a complex engine, like an economic engine built into your deck that may not be muscular, but that depends on having more cards and therefore more uncertainty. Um, so we only tried it once, and I'm intrigued by it, but our first playthrough didn't go well, and it's not necessarily the game's fault. Well, what I have heard, which as a common criticism of the game, is that people are very concerned it's not well balanced between those, yeah, between those two paths. Like they're like, oh no, it's so much easier to score points if you do mercy because you just add a whole bunch of cards to your deck. And I don't know if that was your guys' experience, but I, I know that there there was immediately some concern once this got put out in in the public that the game wasn't tuned well enough. And it so. definitely. Partly, too, because as you move farther down the scale, the benefits are just exacerbated that much more. Right. So if, if there's even the slightest little imbalance between mercy and cruelty, by the time – you know, it's, it's just going to get worse and worse as, as a game progresses, and someone is benefiting more and more from that approach. Because I think, like, part of the goal – anybody who plays deck builders know you want crappy cards out of your deck. Like – like that, that that's just a fundamental tenet of deck building is streamline the deck fewer more powerful cards are always better than more or less powerful cards um so it really seems like uh you know you should always be cruel in this game uh, <laughs> but i'm not really clear. yeah so i i still want to try it more i'm fascinated by it. it's got a kind of a cool um like ecology going where there's four different factions. There's like the guild faction and the priest faction and the right. warrior faction. So as you're building your deck, it's you're moving your character around the land and you're trying to court different factions uh, and you're upgrading your cards too. I kind of like that concept uh, yeah. that it's not that I'm just randomly throwing cards into my deck. There's part of that. But one of my actions is to take a card and then to pay to then fish out of another deck the more 
a powerful iteration of it. Like I'm leveling up my cards as I play, uh, and I like that idea. So. Yeah, I, I, I like the overall look of it. I mean, I love the idea of area control and deck building. Yeah. But but like you, I was I was kind of put off by the the tepid reviews, and then eventually, you know, seeing it on sale at a huge discount, right. and being, right. and I was like, oh, I should jump on that. And then I was like, wait, no, wait, stop. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you guys do. It's one of these things too. I did where. Uh, I was so close to free shipping. Like, it's that threshold when you're buying something from an online store. It's like, oh, I just need $18 more of something, and then I won't have to pay the, you know, $7 of shipping. <laughs> it was, uh, so, yeah, I ended up with it. And uh, so, yeah, so far, we'll see. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of deck builders. And I, So do the Pathfinder Adventure card games and Apocrypha, are those considered deck builders? Do you guys know? I, you know, I wouldn't only because the deck building is so is so slow. You know, yeah, uh, and it's and it's kind of you know, and I consider deck builders like building your deck is the main mechanic, where Pathfinder, right? You're fighting monsters and go on adventures. Yeah, and it's getting more, more like, parts for it, but it's kind of an afterthought to the main mechanic. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I because I, I I will every now and then just. Because I, I kind of think of anything where I do cool manipulation of cards. I think like I used I used to run around calling uh, the Arkham Horror Living Card Game. It's like yeah, it's one of my favorite deck builders. And someone pointed out, mm, if you're gonna do that, that means Magic is a deck builder, where you build a deck between games. Yeah, like, that's right, that's right. not a deck. That's a collectible card game. Uh, Would you guys consider Seven Wonders a deck builder? I mean, it does that drafting thing, right? Stuff. It's not quite the same, but I would say no, only because I've been so incorrectly using the term for so long. I would be guarded about <laughs> continuing to misuse it. Hassan, would yeah. you call Seven Wonders a deck builder? No, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. I'd be, it would be a stretch. I think that deck building has to have that adding cards to your thing and then running through your deck yeah. at least a yeah. few times yeah. to like see the, like the how... cycling mechanic yeah i think yeah. i think you need to have that like i've even played games where they're, they're like this is a deck builder but really <laughs> actually you don't actually ever get to cycle through your deck maybe more than once right, right. and right. and if i'm not getting that then i would just call it like well it's I, you're, you're, I'm adding cards to this pile, but it's not really a deck builder because I'm never getting to retest the efficiency of my deck. Right, right. right. Um, yeah. And I kind of assess how well I, I like a deck builder by by whether I'm getting that feel of of getting enough feedback on my 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 design. Right. Do, does either of you know Aeon's End? Uh, I know it, but I have not played it. Yeah, same. I, I know of it, but I've so it just came out. Uh, we're recording a couple of days before this posts, but just this week, uh, a digital version of it uh, left early access and it is now available. Um, I, and I actually don't care for it. I, I think it's um, it's a deck builder and the mechanic, which doesn't really do much for me because I'm terrible at remembering the cards that I've bought, but but you never shuffle your deck. You buy a card, and then you put it on top of the discard pile, and then when your draw deck is empty, you just flip your discard pile over. So you're kind of seeding your deck in a specific order as you play, and uh, like, like I, I think some people could use that mechanic to their advantage. It, do, it has never made that much of a difference to me. But my main problem with it is... Uh, it's all in the service of just punching a bunch of hit points away from right. a bad right. guy, and right. every deck kind of is drawing from the same reserve of cards. Uh, 
so uh, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I know a lot of people like it. They like that non-shuffling element, and it's uh, now available to play digitally. So yeah, that that was my primary concern with it too, Thomas. I, I liked the look of it, and I thought they had some cool tweaks and innovations in the deck building part. But then when I saw that, oh, you're just fighting a boss monster, and it starts with 50 billion hit points, right. and you've got a <laughs> winnow it down and that's really sort of the core of it i was i immediately lost interest yeah, uh, yeah. and it also doesn't feel like it, it's just they're just you know like one spell does 10 points of damage another spell does five points of damage but it's twice as fast like it's just super mathy that way which right. there's only so many verbs you can marshal when you're punching hit points away from something yeah yeah right. so. There's actually a standalone expansion for that coming out this week, Tom. I don't know if it says it adds some light campaign stuff, so I don't know how much it changes the, the rules. Oh, well, well, so here's the deal. There's a legacy version of it, which I kind of enjoy mm-hmm. because of how it – so Aeon's End was another one of those games that drove me crazy in that it's just a bunch of – they're not really even modules. They're just like in Dominion. Hey, just choose whatever cards you want to make available to buy in any given game. And there's like, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 different cards, and you're supposed to pick eight to buy from for any game. There's a little bit of guidance in terms of make some of them cost this and don't put too many of this cost. But it's just one of those big boxes with a bunch of stuff, and you're supposed to find your own fun and your own balance in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the Legacy game, completely the opposite. Like, okay, here's some crappy cards. Play a scenario. Now pick one of these two cards to then fold in. Now put a sticker on one of these wizards. Um so their legacy version, I, I think, it does some pretty clever stuff within its limited framework. So I'm curious to see what they would do with this more campaign-oriented thing. What, what's yeah. it called? Do you know? Uh, it is called Anzen, the New Age. New Age. All right. Well, uh, we'll see if I can hold out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So there we have uh, a, a little bit of cartographers, some monster slaughter, and clank. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Hassan Lopez and Mike Pullman, and we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks to everyone for listening. Cheers.